What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 27th episode of The Roundabout, celebrating 15 years of the Xbox 360. My name is Ryan Turford, and this is the show where we're counting down the months to the 15-year anniversary of the Xbox 360 with 50 of the best games to play on the console for both new and experienced owners. We dive into the brief history of each game and talk about what makes them awesome. As always, we'd love your feedback on the show over on Twitter at the Xbox Drive, or you can reach out to me directly anytime at Ryan Turford. On this week's episode, we open the Valve Vault in the Orange Box, released on October 10th, 2007. Heralded as one of gaming's best compilations, the Orange Box is a treasure trove of some of Valve's best games, including Half-Life 2, Portal, and Team Fortress 2. So, you might be asking, Ryan, why are you including a compilation of games on the roundabout? I thought this was the best individual games on the Xbox 360, and you are correct about this. However, the major difference between the Orange Box and other compilations is that the vast majority of content included was brand new releases at the time of its launch. Not only that, but they were all brand new to Xbox in particular, but it's very different from a lot of other compilations. Like it's not like Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, which is all Genesis games, or it's very different than a, a, a modern repackaging like the Mass Effect trilogy, where all three games were already on 360 at the time before they repackaged them as one trilogy. The Orange Box was very much a very different experience where three of the five games were just brand new games. They just launched at the same time in one package. So um, not only that, but the only game in this package you can buy separately is Portal. So for the most part, I could just do Portal Still Alive on its own. But I mean, come on, you're going to want the Orange Box anyways. So, I mean, it just makes more sense to evaluate that the new stuff on this list as it's part of the compilation and then just going going from there rather than doing multiple episodes about this. Now, this was a huge deal at the time of release because you were essentially getting three brand new games for $60. Plus, we were finally getting a version of Half-Life 2 that runs properly on consoles because those of y'all who remember, there was a ha version of Half-Life 2 that came out on the original Xbox, um, but it had had a whole bunch of frame issues, like sometimes dipping down to like 10 frames a second in some areas. Not only that, but it had like really bad load times and stuff. So it was just, it was playable, but it wasn't really the Half-Life 2 experience we were really looking for. Um, and definitely if you want to replay the game now, I mean, and you don't want to play it on PC, then the Xbox 360 version obviously is the way to go with it. So yeah, it was really cool to finally see a, a playable version of Half-Life 2 on console, but again, it was all the new stuff that was really exciting again, Portal, Team Fortress 2, and then Half-Life 2 Episode 2, I think, were the three big exciting things about the Orange Box at the time. And uh, again, this was a really big deal um, at the time. In an already stacked year, 2007 was already a stacked year for games, um, and then just releasing the Orange Box the same year um, just was like almost like the icing on the cake for that year. So let's start first with Half-Life 2 and its subsequent episodes. Originally released back in 2004, Half-Life 2 is one of the most revolutionary single-player first-person shooters of all time, which is funny to think about because Half-Life 2 actually came out a week after Halo 2, um, another revolutionary first-person shooter. But I think Halo, in, in all the ways it was revolutionary, I think it was much more revolutionary as far as multiplayer and Xbox Live support. Um, but Half-Life 2 was kind of in the opposite direction where it was very much this like intimate, like moody um, first person shooter that that told a really amazing story um, and just didn't really really feel like anything else out there. And it kind of changed the way um, we thought about first person shooters in general. 
In the game, you play as Gordon Freeman, who returns after being missing since the events of the first game. In its absence, an alien race known as the Combine have taken over the Earth and have basically enslaved the population. Gordon works with the Human Resistance to try and bake back the Earth, starting with City 17. The campaign is very well paced, with some amazing moments and removable characters that Gordon meets along the way. And again, the pacing was a huge element to uh, Half-Life 2's success, because it starts off and, and it almost feels like a chase sequence for the first two hours of the game, where you're basically like trying to flee the city, um, trying to get away from the compine and basically uh, regroup with Alex um, at her father's lab. Um, and then you have missions like uh, Journey to Ravenholm, which feel like it's almost like survival horror at this point where you're going through this spooky village and there's a whole bunch of like uh, alien creatures there. And then you've got the leader levels where you're driving around the countryside in the buggy and they all just feel like really fresh and different moments from each other and it's just so well paced because all, all that stuff could have fallen apart if it wasn't paced properly so i think that just the way that it paced out the story and and build out it, and wasn't afraid to speed up or slow down and give you like heartfelt moments like playing uh basketball in the backyard with with dog for example um like just some of those human moments as well just totally add to the experience so half-life 2 is an incredible game um that everyone who likes first person shooters should play. And, and definitely it ripples were felt throughout the first person shooter industry after half-life two came out. And you got you, that's when we started to see um, more first person shooters start to go in this direction. We'd already st started to see that change with stuff like halo. Um, but half-life two really um, changed uh, things as well. Now at the time half-life two had set a new standard for graphics with valve source engine on PC and was a truly immersive experience. It changed the way we interact, interfaced with the game world thanks to the game's physics engine that was highlighted by the gravity gun, which was a gun that you allowed you to basically pick up any object in the environment. You could already lift objects already without the gravity gun, um, but the gravity gun allowed you to pick up objects that were too heavy for Gordon to carry um, or just use them as projectiles. In fact, again, the Ravenhold section I, I talked about earlier, it's just a huge showcase for the gravity gun, like picking up saw blades and throwing them at enemies and stuff, or just seeing what kind of objects you could use as weapons because you didn't have a lot of ammo in that stage uh, for that reason. It just encouraged you to go in that direction, which was cool. It included a lot of physics puzzles as well that may seem rudimentary today, but back in 2004, it really made objects in the game environment feel like they had some kind of weight and they really felt like real objects for the very first time. Like if you threw a brick, it like, uh, thanks to the physics engine, it actually bounced like a normal brick probably would if you threw it. Um, likewise, you would use bricks, for example, to um, balance platforms and stuff like that so you could get to new areas. Um, it really made you think about the real world physics in a way that other first person shooters just or just other games at the time just didn't. Um, whereas now, again, this seems rudimentary when we look at it in through the lens of 2020, because sure, a ton of games now do this type of thing because, um, but I think Half-Life 2 really just paved the way for that stuff. And it seems kind of corny now to do some of the, those puzzles when you revisit the game. Um, but again, in the lens of 2004, this was a big deal because no other game was really doing this at the time. Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Half-Life 2 Episode 2 were also both very strong as well. Episode 1 pick up, picks up immediately after the end of Half-Life 2, as Gordon and Alex are trying to flee City 17 after the end of the first game, while Episode 2 has Alex and Gordon crossing the countryside to make it to the White Forest base while being chased by the Combine. 
Each of these episodic games ran a bit shorter than the main experience, but they were essentially full games that were just released episodically. And while it was a shame that we never got the announced third entry, they were both certainly worth playing, even if they weren't as revolutionary as Half-Life 2. I mean, the whole reason they did these episodically rather than doing Half-Life 3, the, the, the developer said, was that um, they wanted to basically dole these games out faster because it took so long for Half-Life 2 to come out that they didn't want to do the same thing for Half-Life 3. So Half-Life 2, Episode 1 and 2 were kind of, when you put them all together with the, the supposed third episode, they were supposed to make Half-Life 3. Like that was the whole idea. That's the whole reason we don't have a Half-Life 3 right now, um, especially because it's, it's such a shame because especially if you've played episode two before it ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> that was supposed to be resolved in the third game that just we're never going to get to see, unfortunately. So um, whether it comes in the form of half-life three or uh, episode three, I really hope that eventually valve revisits half-life three one day. Um, although again, it's been so long since the orange box even came out because again, that was 2007. It's been 13 years uh, since we've had a half-life game besides half-life Alex, which came out, earlier this year which was not a sequel to the game um i really hope that after half-life alex the team at valve finally eventually goes back to half-life and we finally get a, a proper conclusion now the orange box also featured a multiplayer suite in the form of uh, team fortress 2 which was a class-based shooter with two teams competing over various objectives it has a glorious 3D animated art style that really stood out and was a big fan favorite game with a dedicated community that is still growing strong to this day. However, it's very hard to find a game on Xbox today unless you make the trek to PC because that's really where the community for this game has kind of gone to. So that's really the only way to play it today. I'm not going to dwell too much on Team Fortress 2 because, again, it was a really fun game when it came out. Um, again, the art style looked fantastic. Again, it, all the different characters had a lot of personality and style to them, like all the different classes. Um, and again, like it, it spawned like a big cult following from, from the community and has, again, still a dedicated community now. It's just I tried to uh, revisit the game for the purposes of this podcast and just I could not find a game for the life of me. Like there's like nobody playing this game right now on Xbox. So definitely it's just one of those things where unless you have a, some friends together um, to definitely play some of these, I mean, you need a lot of friends together too, because uh, it's basically a six on six game. So you need 12 friends to hop on Xbox live together and play. Otherwise you really can't get a game going. So unfortunately it is kind of rendered unplayable today. Um, but at the same time, Team Fortress 2, again, really fun game. Um, I loved just the different types of objectives you had. Um, you didn't really have too many maps, but again, I loved all the different classes. Like they all really felt different from each other. Um, and I, I personally like playing the spy, which allowed you to shapeshift into other classes. I thought all that stuff was super cool. So they did had some really smart ideas with Team Fortress 2. It's just, it's too bad that the community is still not there for this game because uh, it, it's a really fun game. Now I'm saving the best for last being Portal because Portal really changed the way we thought about puzzle games, shifting the puzzle-solving aspect to the first person. I mean, we had seen some first-person puzzle games before, but Portal kind of changed things. It's eventually uh, what spawned games like The Talos Principle or um, The Witness or a lot of other later puzzle games that were basically first-person puzzle games. It really took the same innovation to the physics puzzles found in Half-Life 2 and really turned them on their head giving you some really smart puzzles involving a portal gun, which allows you to create two individual portals and really get around the environment in a lot of different ways. 
However, the thing that really made Portal stand out and made it such an unexpected hit was the writing and the character of GLaDOS in particular. GLaDOS really steals the show as she ushers the player through the Aperture Science Research Facility with some incredible deadpan acting from Ellen McLean. Like Half-Life 2, Portal had such a huge effect on future titles, and it nicely rounds out the package, again, um, not only just on first-person puzzle games, but also just the way games were written as well. Again, Gladys is the only character that talks in this game. You play as Shell, who, again, is a char character that you kind of project yourself onto, kind of like Gordon Freeman, because Gordon Freeman doesn't talk either. Um, and then all the, the only person that talks throughout the whole game is GLaDOS. And I guess in the end, the various forms of GLaDOS. Um, so it was really interesting to see this type of, uh, single player, like game that was really funny and, uh, it just had a lot of humor to it. And again, it it just blew up. It became such a big hit. And again, there's a reason why it became its own standalone game. Um, because, Obviously, uh, Valve wanted people to still pick up Portal, um, but not necessarily have to pick up the orange box to do so. Um, so and, and it is a game definitely worth going back to and playing for sure. So how well does the orange box hold up today? All the games hold up really well today, with the exception of Team Fortress 2 for the obvious reasons I just talked about, because the game still looks great and it's still really fun to play. But obviously, with no player base, you can't really play it on Xbox, unfortunately, unless you've got... 12 friends together and you want to play that way visually the game that's really starting to show its age out of all the games in this collection however is portal as its environments don't really hold up as well today as they did back in 2007 but it still looks pretty good overall it just again it's starting to especially like the environment of the aperture science research facility is starting to show its age a little bit that's all Half-Life 2, as well as the other episodes, still look great overall, as well as the character models, I think, look really good for, for those games. And I think just a lot of this just has to do with um, being the visual flaws being a lot less noticeable with something like Portal um, versus Half-Life 2, because Half-Life 2, you're really just trans traversing from place to place, and you're never really in one place for very long, versus Portal where you're kind of just in one place the whole time, um, which again is its own visual style. But I think the difference is um, they didn't really, the graphics in Portal were never really at the revolutionary level that Half-Life was in particular. Um, again, the Source engine in particular was starting to show its age a little bit when Portal came out. And I think they didn't really try to go for gravel fidelity with portal it was more about the experience and the humor and stuff like that so um i think that the facility itself again um is starting to show its age versus half-life 2 where it's just you're going from place to place to place and there was a lot of uh detail put into uh making the world feel as real as possible and i think that it's just different philosophies uh in game development when you compare the two of them so um definitely i think that's the reason why it is, but definitely the gameplay, the humor and stuff, all that stuff really holds up in Portal. It's just the visuals in particular just are, are feeling a little bit sluggish. Now, whether you're picking up the orange box for the first time or you're replaying Portal for the 20th time for another slice of cake, the orange box is still a great experience today, regardless of where you play it. If you're looking to pick up the orange box today, it's available digitally on 360 and it's backwards compatible on Xbox One. That's all for this episode of The Roundabout. You can hit me up on Twitter anytime at Ryan Turford. You can also find the pants man himself, Sean Capri, on Twitter at Sean Capri, or us on Twitter at The Xbox Drive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Roundabout, and we out. Bye.